this, in this series on, on seeking God. And it's a strange time of the year to try and do something like this because um, seeking God and, and going through this, uh, let's say, spiritual disciplines, it actually takes a lot of effort and a, a lot of mental energy. So for us to now say uh, October, and we all know that if Jesus came back, uh, when Jesus comes back, he, he shouldn't come this time of the year because there, there are no Christians left. And uh, well done, you guys who uh, are the, the raptured. Um, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is that even though you want to sort of save the beginning of the year or something for, for something as intentional as this, the reality is that there's never a good time. There's always a diaper. There's always a Netflix series to watch. There's al always a, a meeting or email or a podcast. So there's never a good time. So any time is, is, is a good time. Now, I met with a lady a while ago, and I've seen her year once, twice, and, and then I saw her again, yeah, and I, it, it, was, it was good to see her, and, and she was a skeptic, and I remember her, her being a skeptic, and we had our conversation, and she told me that her search for God has been one of the most disappointing things of her life, where she is the one reaching out. She is the one with the, the you know, broomstick just trying to reach the, the upstairs neighbor. And she is the one um, that has just poured herself out and it's just been radio silence. And then she used this illustration that was quite apt. She said, uh, it's like I sent, I've sent God so many friend requests and he just doesn't accept. That's my spiritual life. I've sent God a friend request and he doesn't respond. Now, I think... There's a lot of truth in what she said. Her journey is her journey. And uh, we needn't immediately just problematize it. But after, I mean, I'm not sure how I handled it pastorally, but I can tell you that after sympathetically listening to her and also acknowledging that, that times of drought, I asked her, what ha have you been in any other church in the last five years? And she said, no, she hasn't been in any church. I said, you know that we have conference after conference addressing some of the bigger questions in life. Have you attended any of them? Have you come to any of our cell groups? Have you been to any of our prayer retreats, any of this, any of our book clubs? And the answer was no, no, no. And I said, forgive me, but I don't think you're such an honest seeker as you claim to be. And, and that's not just her, that's all of us. And we're very quickly, I think it is because we're in this suing culture, right? If something is wrong, somebody is at fault, and it's not me. It's a little bit like, <laughs> in, in my relationship with my wife, it's always, uh, where's the key? And then, you, you had it lost. No, 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 you had it lost. No, where's the key? And I mean, it's always in our pockets. Like it's always, oh, sorry, I had it. But it's immediately, what did you do with the key? Um, so if, if something is wrong, it must be somebody else's fault. And if our relationship with God is stale or non-existent, it must be his fault, right? I'm trying everything um, I can. And it's not necessarily that simple. I, I've tried to reach many of you 
and maybe Thorsten, yeah, I've, I've given him a couple of calls and uh, I want to know something about TGIF or, or, or whatnot. And then there's three missed calls and where is Thorsten? He's just not responding to me. I'm reaching out. It's like sending this friend request to Thorsten, but he's just not responding. Um, but there's been on a couple of occasions, uh, occasions where Thorsten needs something from me and I completely forgot about it or I've just not gotten around to it and I don't want to talk to him because this is going to be the third time and he's a bit of a German and he's uh, sort of, why didn't you finish it? Why? So it's better for me to just sort of look at his number. Oh, you know. um, so, so even though at times I've been this very honest searcher in search of my friend and my colleague, I've been just as much an avoider of my friend and my colleague. And I think this is true in our relationship with God. I've really sought God. And you know, I, I remember at, at Varsity just going to, to every church that I could find and uh, trying to, to experiment in the different spiritual expressions and, and trying to uh, learn from the charismatic tradition and from the Catholic tradition, etc. And in my, in my yearning and my search for truth, and eventually it, it had a strange detour through atheism, etc. But the, uh, the fact of the matter is, I think there was a lot of it that was earnest, trying to really find God. But there were very real moments in which it would have been very inconvenient to believe in God. I remember thinking, I mean, this is a campus full of hormonal students. It would be so nice to just get rid of God, to get him out of the equation, and then it can sort of, uh, wh what's it, Aldous Huxley said, I don't want God to exist because it frees me to my own political and erotic desires. Now, I, I didn't have any political desires. So, 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 so what, uh, if, if, if God is not in the picture, then, then I'm free. Then it's sex, and then I can, I can do what, seems to be working for, f the, the, you know, friends, the sitcom, etc., etc. Um, what I'm seeing on television, what I'm seeing in my friends, I, I just need this God to get out of the picture. I also was ambitious and tried to get various positions, and then there were opportunities to slander and gossip about my opponent in my campaign. And uh, I think, oh man, it's really going to be annoying if, if God is in the picture, because I, I, I really know what he expects of me, yeah? But maybe if he's not there, then I can just take it in my own hands. I can either trust God, and I'm not even sure about him, or I can just get rid of God and just take it myself. So there were occasions in which I was, I think, an honest-ish searcher. And there were times that I was searching God the same way a thief searches a policeman. And I think we need to be honest uh, about this as part of, uh, of our human nature. Now, I want to address both these sides of of us as humans. And the first, the first bit where God becomes inconvenient, we find in Romans 3, Romans 3 verses 9 to 12, and then I'm also going to read 22 to 24. Um, it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. It is written, none is righteous, no one, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then I jump to verse 22 and it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No one... 
Ah, it's definitely in the Bible, and it's Romans 3 from verse 9 to 12 and 22 to 24. It's not going to be my main text, but, um, uh, but, but, but there you have it. So, I, this passage, I think, is problematizing, again, this idea of us constantly reaching up to God, and we've got this very noble search after him. It problematizes that, that idea. And I think Paul has a point. There is some truth to it that we are not such great seekers, and we'll get to that in a, in a, in a second. But what makes this so remarkable is that Paul is a Pharisee. He is from that very zealous theological persuasion. Israel's, uh, God's people, Israel being the people that wrestles with God, the people that is constantly trying to search and discern God's will. I mean, th th this people that is set apart, that is the theological training that he is, is in. And then he says, huh, do we really search for God? Nah, there's no difference between me and a Gentile. We're all the same. This would have been astonishing for a first century audience. Like, for, for, for a Jew, a zealous Jew, to hear that these Gentile spiritual dogs are on the same spiritual level as all the other uh, Israelites, it, it would have been utterly, utterly astonishing. And Paul, I think later on, uh, explains why there's this problem. He says that, yeah, sure, these Gentiles, a lot of the things that they do is just obviously bad. But even us Jews, when we think we are doing good, like Paul persecuting the church, it is done from selfish and misguided purposes or motivations. So even the good things are sometimes messed up. Now, uh, a, a crazy statistic that I came across uh, this, uh, this week is that when somebody is in AA, in Alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous, and they become sober, the, the, let's put it this way, marriages tend to last more when they are drunk than when they become sober. Marriages tend to last longer when they are drunk and addicted than when they are sober. Why? Now, people are trying to make sense of, of this uh, crazy phenomenon, and the best explanation that we can get is, let's say there's a drunk husband and there's a sober wife, and she's constantly cleaning up after him constantly making excuses for him, constantly just trying to give him some form of dignity in all of his, uh, uh, I don't know, stumbles and, and, and embarrassments. Who's the good guy there? It's the wife, right? Who's the bad guy? It's obvious who's the bad guy. Now he is sober, and all of a sudden she has nobody to fix. She has nobody, uh, she, she's not the saint anymore. She's lost her identity. Now, I would think that if somebody is cleaning up after their husband and really trying to, um, to hide and cloak his nakedness, that is very saintly and it's very good. And it is, by the way. If your husband is drunk, please continue to do that. But the, the point is that even that good thing becomes, becomes contaminated and it turns into sin. Are you guys with me? Like how something really good can become corrupt as well. The Israelites had this revelation of God, and they, they, they had this, 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 this treasure 
And what did they do? They just put a massive fence around it. And then people were coming and trying to get there. No, 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 uh -uh. too dirty, you can't do that. No, 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 not with that, not with that lamb, not with that turtle dove, no ways. Um, and, and, and they were convinced that they were the good guys. That's the problem when we read the Bible and, and the Gospels and we read, oh, Pharisees. If you call somebody today a Pharisee, um, it, it's like, oh, well, how dare you? If, if you call somebody in the first century Pharisee, like, oh, thank you so much. Oh, I'm, I really try. Um, and it's... It's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's something that is, that is not in, a, in essence good, but even our good attempts are more often than not misguided. So Romans 3, I think, helps us to just fight this na naivety when it comes to our search for God. Two encounters, and, and uh, I, I remember the one distinctly. I'm speaking to the skeptic, and he said, and by the way, if you're skeptic here to, tonight, you are so welcome. And, and this is really a place where we try to wrestle with our questions. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to put Christians in one category and skeptics in another category. I think what Romans 3 tells us is that everybody's a mess. Okay? So it, it is very egalitarian. But one thing that I've noticed is with this uh, specific friend of mine, a friend is, 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 is maybe a bit of a stretch, but he, he told me, you know what, I, I recently lost my faith, and I really want to believe, Johan. I really want to believe. So if you can show me, if you can prove it to me, then that'll be great. So I said, well, I mean, uh, we can maybe talk a little bit about debates and, and whatever. So I gave him that debate between a Christian called William Lane Craig and an atheist called Christopher Hitchens, and he watched the debate. And uh, asked him, so uh, how, did, how did you feel about it? No, 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 it actually made me a little bit nervous, a little bit um, uncomfortable. I was like, how, how so? No. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Hitchens fan, and um, uh, like at first I thought maybe this is hollow, and then, and then I, I, I just delved a little bit, and I figured out, no, 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 this Christian apologist is taking a lot of chances, but at first I was a little bit off balance. I said, whoa, 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 but if you are so eager to just believe, why on earth is your first position, when your position is now under pressure, is to be nervous? What are you protecting? Does that make sense? So in other words, here's a skeptic, and he says, look, if I can have any piece of evidence, I would just jump at the opportunity. Now I give him evidence, and he feels a little bit uncomfortable by, with his side not doing well, and all of a sudden he's like, no, 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 but, but, but there's something wrong. Let me tell you about this. It's, it's not as honest as he claims to be. And the other thing is, also, a lot of the skeptics I talked to, uh, this past uh, trip that I, that I was on, I, I spent a lot of time with a friend of mine who's, um, who's an agnostic, and, and then we would talk about one thing, let's say the problem of evil, and he says, okay, but what about all the other religions? And then we would talk a little bit about that, okay, but what about hell? And what about the reliability of the Gospels? What about this corrupted? And then I think, okay, but are you happy that we have now sorted out this objection? Because you didn't object to my answer in this objection. You just jumped to this, to this question. Um, and it's a little bit like a deflated balloon where you push on the one side and then it just sort of pops up at the other side. And again, it seemed to me like you, are, you claim that you desperately want to believe. Um, but you are not necessarily trying to resolve a specific objection and then ju just go on. It is very much antagonistic so to speak. So, so this, I think, is, is true enough. But then there is something called genuine seeking. And 
And, and, and I think there's, there are both these tendencies in the human heart to genuinely seek as well as to, to hide from God. And probably the best psalm that, that illustrates this journey of searching for God is Psalm 42 that um, almost all of you, I'm, I'm sure, would be somewhat familiar with. So Psalm 42, Annika, uh, from verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the, with the assembly and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from, the Mount, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a dev deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The first thing that's interesting about this psalm is the fact that there's no confession of sin. A lot of the time when there's something bad going on with the psalmist, it's like, oh, Lord, I messed up adultery, uh, uh, idolatry, whatever the case may be, and uh, that's why you are far from me, but please, I want, you, I want you back. But this guy is not saying I did anything wrong. He's saying... God is the one doing wrong. I am the deer, and I am looking for water, and I'm going to the water, and there is no water. God is missing in action. And he, the, the image that he uses is it's your waves that's just crashing over me, the breakers just crashing over me, which is always a biblical theme for chaos. When there's lots of water, think of Noah and judgment. It's water. Uh, think of the watery chaos in Genesis which is a very fun Hebrew word to remember, tohu vahohu. Maybe just look at the person next to you and say tohu vahohu, um, which means watery chaos. She likes it, I know it, uh, Luca. Which is, which is this watery chaos. So when this watery chaos descends, it's, um, it, it, it means that, goodness me, there's, there's, there's no order, there's no control. Uh, there's... God is, is, is somehow missing in, in this chaos. So this is what he's experiencing right now. And it's not because of sin. It's just because life is hard. And there's no real explanation for it. That's where this psalmist is. And then he does something. Even though he experiences God's absence, accuses him of being absent. He does a few things that I think is what we as honest searchers should do. The first one is he pours it out. He pours out his heart. So here from verse, uh, uh, verse 4, he says, 
these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Um, before that, he says, um, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? My tears have been my food day and night. That's pretty bleak. And he is just pouring it out. Why have you forgotten me? He says later on in the psalm. So in our search for God, and this is an exercise that I want us to try tonight, we start off by just verbalizing what is in our hearts. I love that line in Mark 9, uh, verse 24, where uh, this, this uh, man is very distressed because um, of the sickness of his child, and God, uh, Jesus says, anything is possible, like healing is possible for anyone who believes, and he says, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, help me, help my skepticism. What a beautiful prayer. But to tell God what is inside and to not hide behind piety is maybe one of the first steps that we can take in our search for God. I think it is Teresa of Avila who, who prayed, Lord, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. <laughs> in other words, there's nothing in me. I'm apathetic. Like, I'm uninterested in you, God. There's nothing in me at the moment. Then pray that. <laughs> then put that on paper in, in like a prayer journal or whatever. So just say, Lord, I am completely disinterested. I often experience so much disappointment in my spiritual life. I am disappointed in my prayer life. I'm disappointed in my, um, my lack of Bible study. I'm disappointed in my lack of intentionality um, with, with people around me. And then, more often than not, I am disappointed at the fact that I'm not disappointed. <laughs> because I'm like, ah, I'm okay. You know what? So my Bible study isn't great. So my prayer isn't great. Uh, and then I'm like, oh man, that should really bother me. <laughs> I'm disappointed for not being disappointed. And maybe that's the only thing that you can pray. Then pray it. You pour it out. And maybe, uh, I'm not sure if you guys were who were here last week, but, but Andre van Sale did this fantastic talk on... Uh, on seeking God, and he referenced this singer Nightbird, who apparently is famous from from X Factor, and uh, she's suffered with X Factor. What, what is it called? America's Got Got Got, got Talents. I, I know you're a big fanboy, so you know all the different uh, things, Gior. And uh, she, she wrote this wonderful. I'm not sure if it's a poem, but just this essay, maybe, um, where she just says that. You know what? God might call me many things, but the one thing that he will not say when I see him one day is that he didn't know me because I have been hitting his door down with a broomstick. That's what we do when we pour ourselves out. We just give it out. We just give it to, every, to, to, to God. The second thing that, he, that, 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 that the psalmist teaches us in terms of searching God is he longs for community. Here in verse 4, he says, Oh, how I would go with the assembly and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs and praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Oh, how I long to be in community. This guy is in, in, in Harmon. Harmon, we know, is a mountain in north of Galilee in modern-day Syria. Uh, we've got no idea where, idea where Mizmar, Mount Mizar is, uh, but we know where Harmon is. But it's clear that 
this guy wants to be in the south, in Jerusalem, in Judah, and he is far removed from that, from that community. And he longs for it. He longs to worship God with other people. And Trevor Hudson, in his book, Seeking God, he says, although our faith is personal, it's never private. Although our faith is personal, it's never private. And sometimes I think we are so saturated and gluttonous in, in a place like Pretoria, where there are so many churches. There are more churches than, than people. And, uh, you, you know, you can just sort of walk into it. And yet, I think most people tend to watch Netflix and just, ah, you know, maybe next time. And here's a guy who's deprived of that. He would go miles to just find that spiritual community. And he, he longs for it. Because the fact of the matter is, friends, that your search for God will not, I don't want to say will, chances are, it's probable that it will not last very long without community, without doing it together. I've shared this before, but I was um, in, in Israel and I was getting ready for a tour that we were going to take there. And I, I slept in this Arab village, Jiz al-Azarka, and it, it is as bad as it sounds. And there is this backpackers in this village and I meet this girl from Switzerland there and she asks me like where I'm from and I said no we're busy with this sort of uh, Christian pilgrimage she says, are you a Christian I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also a Christian and I'm volunteering here and um, I haven't been in church for six months and I haven't seen a Christian in six months and uh, and she's just so desperate and she asked can we pray together yeah of course we can pray together and and then when I left, this girl was just on my heart, and I, I phoned a friend of mine who just knows someone everywhere, and he knew a pastor in Tel Aviv, and I asked him, can you send that Tel Aviv pastor to just go visit her? I remember getting an email from her, and if an e email could cry, it was this email. It was, the, it was amazing. He came and visited. We had communion together. We prayed together. It was amazing, just because she had this little bit of community in her search for, for God. This, this past week, um, uh, Gior shared something that, that, that really struck me, and that is his, his Bible study is not up to scratch. He's not happy with his Bible studying routine. So he's now gotten a person to keep him accountable f with his Bible study. Now, that's what happens in community, and I'm so inspired by that. Like, uh, you, you're struggling with something. Ah, you know what? I'm giving you permission to ask me questions about that. And then Sabu and Sishle from, from a church in Mamalele asked them where were they yesterday. No, 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 we visited our friends because um, every six months we visit each other and we hold each other's marriages accountable. So we just ask uncomfortable questions like, whoa, that's, that's intense. But it's so intentional, isn't it? Um, you've got another person, another couple, and they've got access to your inner workings and they can ask you any questions. Like, uh, marriages, they are hard. Bible study is hard. Prayer is hard. We need people around us to encourage us, to inspire us, even artificially, whether it's reminders on our phone. I don't know what it is, but the point is, if we want to seek God, we need to do it together. When Brai is obviously a, a, a very religious thing in our, in our culture, and, and if you want to kill a fire, one of the things you do is you don't want to 
pour water on it because there's just ash everywhere and it, it looks like uh, you know some sort of bizarre sacrifice and uh, so it's, so the, the the educated thing to do the the cultured thing to do is to just spread out the coals right you just spread out the fire and then it dies in a, in, a, in, a, in a few years um, but if you if you want to create heat what do you do you push them all together that's how you sustain the heat that's how you get the fire going again so what's true for fire is true for the spiritual life if you want heat if you want the heat the spiritual heat to search for god you have to be together by yourself you're really going to struggle and the psalmist is longing for it and i think that is important in our search for god and by the way friends i know it's end of the year i know there's um there's not a lot of appetite, and I know we also have a lot of visitors, but in some of our cell groups, we're going to go through this book, and, and, and maybe that's something that you need to commit to. If you don't want to go through the book, maybe just join our online uh, Bible, what do you call it, uh, book club. And then if you can't do that, or in addition to that, on the 4th of November, as Anu said, we've got this spiritual director, Robert Buerta, who's just going to take us uh, in this lovely chapel uh, through th some spiritual exercises. We need this kind of help. We need to do these things together. All right. The third thing, we need markers. So he says, he says here, these things I remember. Therefore, I remember you. He is remembering specific things. Now, what are, when, when you are spiritually in a, in a dry patch and you are going to the waters and there's nothing, then the psalmist says, remember when you were at the waters. Remember those wonderful, intimate moments that you had with God. And that's what he even does with uh, the community aspect of it. There's that song, A Breakfast at Tiffany's. You guys know that? Is that a dated reference or is it sort of still lingering? And uh, <laughs> but he says, no, abort, abort, abort. <laughs> um, and in this, uh, in this song, I think what the song is about is that the romance is dead, but they remember this one time breakfast at Tiffany's, and I recall we both kind of liked it. So I say that's the one shot we've got. So if there's little one thing in your relationship that you remember, then let's go back to that place. Let's remember that. And trying to work through this myself, and, and, and I really want to encourage you guys to do that as well, to try and remember when were these wonderful intimate moments uh, that you had with God. It might have been in Bible study, it might have been in prayer, it might have been um, an answer to prayer. But yeah, if you re reflect on these things, uh, Heritage Day, 24 September um, this year when we celebrated it, I I woke up the morning and I just started kissing my kids and, and I'm usually not you know, that affectionate. And I, it, it, I just felt like it was my first birthday because uh, last year, 24th of September, I had this, this heart attack in, um, in Marmalodi. And the more I learned about what happened, uh, the more I, I can't help but, but thank God and see his hand in it. It, it was a type of heart attack that they call the widow maker, which um, I guess is self-explanatory, and you, you've got about a 10% chance of surviving it outside of hospital. I wasn't just outside of hospital, I was in the township. Uh, and on top of that, I recently learned that I had this specific kind of heart attack that if they tested me half an hour before I had the heart attack, they wouldn't have figured out that anything is wrong. 
So there are no prior warning signals, which even makes that statistic even more staggering. And then the, the girl in the emergency unit who resuscitated me uh, recorded my oxygen level at uh, under 20%. And usually you've got brain damage. And I mean, some of you guys might have your suspicions, but the, <laughs> the, the point is, is that it's, it's very, you can call it luck, you can call it providence, um, but that's something that I, I need to visit, need to think about, see God's hand in, in, in that. But it can be big things like that, or it can be, just, uh, you know, maybe it was last year as well, um, my, my eldest, he just got these horrible night terrors and he's inconsolable and he scratches and he screams and he bites and he's not awake and he's not asleep and you, you really don't know what to do with him and no Inya music in the background can, do, can, can help and um, no humming and no singing and, and nothing. And I'm, I'm just so desperate and, I, uh, and, it, it, and it's an hour and I, I just remember saying, God, please, Please, whatever is distressing this boy, I don't know what the, you know, the science is on what a night terror is, but please just make it stop, I beg you. And like in that moment, he just instantly stopped. I mean, make of that of what you want. But I remember just thinking, oh, thank you, God, as I'm trying to assist this kid to sleep. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please remind me of this tomorrow and the day after because, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm really experiencing you as coming through. And it might be experiential like that, or it might be just over Easter, reading up on the resurrection and doing Bible study and the, the scripture coming alive and this fire burning into your heart. Maybe that's what you need to remember. The point is, we need to find these markers. The Israelites were very good at it because when, they, when something happened in the desert, what would they do? Let's put rocks here. Yeah, remember. God, is, God was in this place. Jacob had a dream here. Um, let's remember that. Okay, altar. Let's go. And then what happened here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, something good happened here. Water. Okay, altar. Rocks. Rocks, rocks, rocks. Likewise, we must do the same. We need to place rocks in our lives. And remember, ah, remember that. Remember when I was in financial trouble. Remember when I was in a deep depression. Remember when... I was just, I, had, I, I, I just experienced God so much in that worship service or so much in prayer, whatever. Put rocks there and remember it. Because when the drought comes, you will have to revisit those, those rocks. And then, although it starts off by listening to your, uh, verbalizing your heart, listening to what your heart has to say about um, a lament and where you are at and just pour it out. You know, what I said about, ah, oh, God, I, 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 I'm not sure if you are here or, or whatever the case may be. Um, there comes a time when, and we see this again in the psalm, where that is turned on its head. If you do any form of counseling, then you would have experienced this. That you, let's say it's couples counseling, then you listen. Okay, what, what, what do you have to say? No, it's, it just feels like he is always doing that. Okay, and, and what do you say? No, it just feels like I can't do anything right, you know. And um, what do you what do you think? Oh, it just always feels like this and this and this and this, and then th this is how it makes me feel, and this is how it makes me feel. And you listen and you listen for an hour, for two hours, and whatever. And then, after a while, you say, "Okay, you guys have verbalized now everything that's in your heart. Now shut up and listen to me. This is what's going to happen now." That's what the psalmist does. He voices his his heart's 
the cries of the heart. My God, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for you. I'm reaching out. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then what does he do yet at the end? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What is he doing? He's not just listening to his heart. He's preaching to his heart. Yes, I'm listening. Yes, I'm listening. Yes, I'm listening. And there's a place for that, friends. And then at some point, shut up. Shut up. Enough is enough. Now I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear in this particular, uh, in, in, in this particular regard. And in this last passage that we just read, I shall again praise him. Hope in God. We must have this openness. We must have this expectation that we will really have intimacy with God. Dallas Willard, who knows about Dallas Willard? He's this prominent, prominent philosopher. And yet that's not what he's famous for. He's famous for being this wonderful spiritual director. And I've, I've tried to read his works and, and I struggle to access it. But um, if you guys know someone, uh, people by the name of J.P. Morland and William Lane Craig who are these top-notch Christian apologists, very rationalist guys. And they wrote this massive book, um, Philosophical Foundations of the Christian Worldview. It is monstrous. Don't read it. It's uh, uh, very dense and very difficult. And then what do they do? They attribute it to Dallas, who, to, to whom we will always be students. Like, oh, okay. So this guy must be a heavyweight. But yet, when he talks, it is so intimate. Now, Dallas Willard wrote a letter in 1995 to Trevor Hudson, who we'll see here in a couple of weeks. And, and, and Trevor asked him, or just told him, I'm, I'm longing for something deeper. Is this it? Is this all there is to my spiritual life? And this is what Dallas Willard wrote back. He said, I encourage you to seek the face of the Lord constantly with the knowledge that experiences will come along. You should experience God. I would be nothing and have no faith apart from various experiences of God that have come to me. You should expect experiences and make yourself available to them. We have no idea of what ours will be like. And they certainly will be unlike anyone else's. You see that openness? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him. Can you see that openness in, in searching for God? No. Maybe you are disillusioned. Maybe you haven't had a lot of experiences. Maybe, uh, maybe it's, you, you, you don't know how it works. Just be open. Put yourself out there. So friends, as we... As we try to turn this into practice, I want us to, to maybe just close our eyes for a second and, and let's search, let's seek God with this exercise. So the first thing that we do is we just pour out what is in our heart. And maybe something that can help you in that prayer is if Jesus asked you right now, you personally, what do you want in your friendship with me? What would the answer be? What is it that you need to remember? 
What are some of the altars in your life where God really came through for you or you had such great intimacy with him? Try and remember, it might have been a Bible study, it might have been a worship service, it might have been a moment in nature, it might have been a relational breakthrough, uh, forgiveness that just struck you, a very real spiritual encounter, whatever the case may be. Just identify that. What community accountability structure do you need to implement? And get practical now. Maybe you want to commit to reading a chapter of the Bible a day. You want to commit to 10 minutes of prayer per day. Uh, you want to, to do one of those things and you, you're thinking maybe you should ask a particular cell group or some person. Just Maybe just make a plan to ensure the sustainability of this search for God. And then we've, we've poured out ourselves a little bit, told God what's in our heart. But maybe if we just for a moment shut up, what is the things that our heart must shut up about right now? And what is it that we sense God is telling us? Ask your forgiveness for our apathy. The fact that we are very comfortable to just sort of go through the motions more often than not. We pray, Lord, that even in this time where most people are tired, that you will energize us in this search for you. And there's no search more important. A lot of us think that when we find you, when we come to faith, the search has stopped. But it's, to a certain extent, only the beginning of the search. And it's this wonderful adventure and this wonderful journey, and I pray, Lord, that we will pursue you. Help us, Lord, to pour ourselves out Help us to remember. Help us to, uh, to be part of a community that can help each other grow closer to you. And then, Lord, to discern what it is that you are telling us. And, yeah, Lord, it is a friendship we seek. And many of us, when we have to evaluate our relationship with you now, it would be far from a friendship. And maybe that's the thing that we can say. We can just lament the fact that it's not nearly where it should be. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you that even though we so often hide, we know that you are the God who came to seek us on this rescue mission. You are the God uh, who went and found the, the prodigal sheep. You are uh, the one who is constantly trying to pursue uh, us. And maybe that's not our experience at the moment, Lord, but I pray that we will, that we will experience and become, become captivated by 
by that knowledge that you are pursuing us. Now, Lord Jesus, we pray for the rest of this journey and that at the end of it that we can just experience the spiritual stretch marks and really really know that we have experienced and are experiencing more intimacy with you than before. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.